All right, let's take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we are doing that, Bill, if you could, uh, if you need an outline for tonight, uh, lift a hand. We'd be glad to bring that to you. I got about 15 extra copies here. All right. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Debbie. The Gideons uh, are doing a blitz in New York this week, and uh, I know Sid Eilertson uh, is among them. And uh, as you as you can imagine. Uh, passing out Bibles in New York City might be slightly different than doing it here. It would be my guess. I don't know. Bud, you might be able to tell me, but perhaps it would be a little different than doing it here. So, uh, But uh, I know Sid's done this for a few years. Let's pray for them uh, as they have opportunity to have gospel conversations with folks in New York. They probably need the gospel in New York. I mean, is that true? They probably need the gospel in New York City? Uh, it's just a guess, but I'm guessing... They probably do need the gospel, just like we do here. All right? Anybody else need an outline? First Corinthians chapter 10, we'll, be, we'll return again, verses 23 through uh, chapter 11, verse 1. We started this last week, looking at the, navigating... The gray areas of Christian living. And I want to start off with another example of this, and I'm going to do so by asking a question. You don't necessarily have to raise your hand, though you could. You could give me a nod to let me know uh, this is something you have done before. Has anybody here ever felt compelled to boycott a company or a product or an organization because of views they held, especially about certain Maybe really pressing, hot topic, cultural, ethical issues. We, we've done this before, all right? Well, what's probably the, the biggest one over the last couple of years? What company has received the most ire of the Christian community? Tar- yeah, Target, ironically enough, right? Tar- get it? Target made themselves a Target. Anyway, all right, so, yeah, Target made themselves a Target because they decided to really kind of say anybody can go to whatever bathroom they want. All right? So it's a dumb policy, but that, you know, that so that was their thing. Anybody can go to whatever bathroom they want. Uh they were in full support of course of uh the transgender agenda, which we know is just a subset of the much larger um homosexual agenda that is uh well, it's not really an agenda anymore. I mean, it's practically a set reality of our culture. I know that may really disturb some of you to hear that nonetheless. Uh, I, I think this is uh, the toothpaste out of the tube. I don't know we're getting it back in. So that, that's one example, though, right? So, so Target, I can remember several years ago in the 90s, maybe some of you lifelong Southern Baptists remember this. Do you remember when we boycotted Disney? Somebody brought up Disney? Remember when we boycotted Disney, all right? This was back in the early 90s because of such a strong stand they had taken on uh, uh, homosexual rights. They even, I don't know if they still do, but they even hosted you know, a, a gay pride day uh, and uh, in, encourage that particular community uh, to come. And so I remember the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole at a convention meeting uh, voted to uh, as a resolution to encourage uh, Southern Baptists to boycott. Now, now th- this is, these are just a couple of examples. And, and while I recognize the need, you know, that sometimes there are companies who are in such a spotlight, who make such a decision to have an agenda we feel obligated to boycott them. This is a trickier issue than you may realize. 
You may think, well, pastor, this is just kind of a done deal, right? I mean, shouldn't we do that? In fact, I often, I say often, sometimes I've been challenged by folks when I comment on my love for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Folks, folks will come up to me and they will say, how can you buy Ben and Jerry's ice cream knowing they support homosexual agenda? And I would then ask you, does that mean you're going to go home and throw away your iPad or your desktop computer? Because both Apple and Microsoft gave ten times more money to the LGBTQXYZ agenda than Ben and Jerry's ever did. And this presents a real challenge because right now the PowerPoint you are looking at on the screen is a Mac in the back. Being run by an iPad. Alright? Yeah, nonetheless, these, you, you, you want to hear an impassioned plea for the homosexual agenda, go back a couple of years ago to the president of Apple, the head of the CEO of Apple, who was a major player in championing the rights of that community. That's not the only example, by the way. You could also bring up Starbucks. Anybody ever had any Starbucks coffee lately? How about Google? Anybody use Google recently? Major proponent of the LGBTQ agenda. Major proponent of it. How about this? Let's move to a different issue here. How many of... Oh, now here's another big one. You really want me to hit home here? You know who one of the biggest players is in this whole political drama? Facebook. We're all going to boycott it, right? Everybody here going to boycott it? Everybody? Every single person here going to boycott Facebook? Same people who boycotted Target, do you boycott Facebook? Alright? So then, do you boycott Clorox? Energizer? Pepsi? Johnson & Johnson? Wells Fargo? Tostitos? What about Verizon? What about Dockers? What about Exxon? What about Levi's? You know, all these people have given money consistently to Planned Parenthood and the political parties that support Planned Parenthood. Does that mean no more Diet Pepsi for folks who live in New Bern? <gasps> May it not be true. In other words, here's, here's the real issue. You know, and I'm not suggesting that there are not times and places and top ways that maybe we make our voice known and, boy, you know, target, uh-huh, target certain people certain positions, certain companies, but this really can be a challenging issue. This is one of those issues that I would argue could be, could be required that we navigate it. Because at the end of the day, do you research every single product of every single thing that you have ever bought? Do you, do you get the background of everything? Because then somebody may say, well, it looks like the only thing we're left doing is we can only go to Chick-fil-A. No, you can't. Pastor, what are you talking about? They don't make their own soft drinks. They don't make the spoons that they give you to eat the chicken soup with. What about those fun little foil packets that the sandwiches come in? Are those made by committed Christians? Now, I bring this up just as an example, by the way. Because I know, you know, last week I kind of teased everybody with the whole Confederate statue thing, all right? So let's tease it then with this one. I mean, are, are you confident that everything you do, buy, support, give money to, that you're engaged with out in the world, are, are they all committed Christian organizations? 
I guess they're not. I mean, maybe you're, you could, you could be one of those people who'd say, yes, every single thing I give to. I, I, I vet everything. Now, I bring this up not because I want you to go home and look at every single product you buy, alright, and tell you that you can only buy stuff that's made by Christians. That's gonna be tricky. Alright, I'm just telling you now, that's gonna be tricky. And in fact, the question then comes to us, do we have to do that? Do we have to do that? Now, you may say, all right, Pastor, what does this have to do with 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through chapter 11, verse 1? It has everything to do with it. I mean, their issue was not, what do they do about a company that decides to open up their bathrooms to everybody? Instead, they were asking the question, can I eat meat that's been offered to an idol? Now, are they exactly the same? Well, no, but I think in the larger scheme of things, in terms of the ethical dilemma that is perhaps presented, this is functionally similar kind of issue. They wanted to know, can do, if, if I go to the market, do I need to ask the guy selling me the lamb where that lamb came from? Well, when I go to a dinner party, do I need to have first have a conversation with the host? Do I need to ask them? All right, this tenderloin looks great, but I need to know where, what you did with it before you cooked it and served it to me. Now, we already know, Paul's already made it abundantly clear. You can't eat the meal that's being hosted at the pagan temple on the corner. That, no. That clearly is a violation of ethics. That clearly is a violation of your witness and testimony. Because that is, in essence, a participation with the event itself. Paul draws a line here. And Paul says, all right, that, that's not a gray area. There, that's, a no, that's a no-brainer. And we recognize there are some aspects of our culture that we should not, must not, cannot participate in. We just can't do it. Uh, to, to give you an example of how crazy this is, I mean, this, this actually is stuff that unfortunately gets talked about in the church world today. I saw just an article. I didn't read the article because it was ridiculous. Here was the article. Seven reasons why Christians shouldn't take inappropriate pictures of themselves with their phones. Seven? Seven reasons? Pretty sure I'd just give you one. All right, I mean, seven reasons, really. Uh, you've got to give me seven. I need seven reasons why this is inappropriate. By the way, it wasn't just inappropriate pictures. There's another word, but I'm not going to say it. All right, so, in other words, I th- really, are we having these kind of conversations? Right, so there are some things that should just be blatantly, obviously out of bounds for Christians. But then there are subtler issues. And in fact, there are issues that maybe folks in a room like this or in a church like Corinth might even disagree about. So how do we navigate this? How do, how do we find our way through what may be uh, these kinds of cultural, ethical issues because we know we are to be in the world, but not to be of it. So how do, how do I live in this world? How do I maintain my faithfulness to the lost world? How do I maintain my sense of brotherly love with brothers and sisters in Christ, while at the same time being true to my own conscience? Okay, so this is 1 Corinthians 10. And, and, and Paul, I think, gives us then this example of meat that's been offered to idols. Again, he's already disposed of the one issue, so now he's going to conclude this section because this topic has been the underlying topic going all the way back to chapter 8. Now he concludes it by offering, here's what you should do. And in doing so, I think, gives us a set of questions we can ask that are very helpful in order to try and work our way through this. So we looked at one last week. Number one, 
What does edification require? What does edification require? So verse 23 and 24. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let not one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So without even addressing the issue of the meat yet, this, this is kind of like a proverb, this is a truism, it's a foundational statement that Paul's making, you know, a way to say, all right, there may be some things you're allowed to do, but just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Does it edify? And does it, ed- does it edify in two ways? Does it edify me? What we mean by edify, does it build me up? Does it help me grow in Christ-likeness? And at the very least, it's not necessarily that everything you do has to be super spiritual, all right? There's plenty of things we do that aren't necessarily intentionally spiritual or character building. But I also need to discern, is this going to hinder it? Is this going to slow my Christian growth? Is this going to be antithetical to my Christian growth? Is this somehow going to be unedifying to me or to someone else? So I need to be mindful that my actions impact others and not just me as a pastor. I mean, that's true for all of us. I've said this before in other contexts, you know, biblical teachings. The truth is all of you have somebody watching you. And you may not even know it's terrifying, isn't it? Should be. But it is, but that happens, all right? Every, everybody has somebody watching you, all right, to, to, to discern what is appropriate for Christian living. And so we need to be mindful of this. And we also need to be mindful... That, that as mature believers in Christ, we want to be generous, compassionate, and kind. We're less mature. It very well could be something that I could have every right and liberty to do, but it could negatively hinder a brother or sister in Christ. And so at that point, I may decide not to do it. Now, don't misunderstand this instruction, okay? This doesn't mean that you are bound to the principles and standards of somebody else. This is not to encourage legalism. This is not to say, well, I can't do this, this, and this because, well, so-and-so over here doesn't like it, so I can't do it, all right? It's not going that far, but there at least should be this consideration. Is this edifying? And if if I'm going to answer the question by saying, this course of action is not intentionally edifying, then I need to ask, okay, so why should I continue doing it? Because it may be enjoyable, and that's a fine thing, all right? It may be enjoyable, great. So then I need to make sure, so is this at least, at the very least, not uh, counteracting my spiritual growth. All right, so that's number one. Number two, the second question we can ask, and this, this is perhaps the big one that occupies the most time in this text, and that is, what does conscience require? What does my conscience tell me? Well, that's, that's language we don't hear much anymore, right? I mean, it, it seems like to me, we don't hear people talking about conscience. Does, does that bother or not bother your, your conscience? Yet Paul is going to use this phrase several times in this text. And before we turn to it, let me make sure we appreciate what he's talking about here. When I say conscience, I don't mean like somebody's just gut reaction based on how they feel about something. All right? I'm not necessarily talking about instinct, though it could be instinct when properly formed by Scripture and the gospel. So when Paul talks about conscience, he is definitely talking about um, people who are mature believers in Christ 
who, who may very well, as a result of their faith, their maturity, their growth in Christ-likeness, uh, would be sensitive to how the Spirit might either give them that sense of pause. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I need to take a minute and think about it before I move ahead. What does conscience tell me? All right, so let's look at it in verse 25. Now, here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to give us two scenarios here to break this out. He's going to talk about, what do I do if I go down to the market? We'll, and we'll try and apply that. All right, what do I do if I go down to the market? And then, what, what do I do if I'm at a dinner party? So keep in mind, he's talking about meat that's been offered uh, to an idol. So verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So the first time he uses this reference to conscience sake, this is his first step in helping them through this ethical dilemma. Because here was the problem. We mentioned this early on, but here was the problem. They, they would go down to the market, all right, to this middle street in Corinth, much like the farmer's market, okay? So there would have been people with booths set up, vendors selling their stuff. That could have been any kind of thing, but for sure there would have been produce and there would have been meat. Now, there was a really good chance that the meat that the vendor was selling on Tuesday had been connected in some way or another to the ritual they had performed on Monday. This was the concern. Yet a lot of believers, younger believers in particular, those who came out of Judaism, because this was a big no-no. In Judaism, you couldn't eat the meat. It was forbidden to eat meat that had been offered to an idol. And so that even caused, in some settings, the Jews would set up their own booths, in essence, to have kosher meat, so that the you know Jews would come to them and get their meat from them. Well, when this translates then into to these Jews converting, becoming Christians... Now they still need to know, what What do I do? Can I, can I go to downtown Corinth and just buy what I want? Or do I, do I need to ask, you know, for a label here? Do I need to know, uh, you know, the carb count on the back? Or what, you know, do I need to know this stuff so I can know where this came from? Was this in Zeus's temple earlier? Do I have to ask about this? So interestingly enough, what does Paul say? What's his first instruction? Don't ask, don't tell. Now, that doesn't apply in the way it's used today. All right, but anyway, that's what he's saying. Don't ask any questions. Eat it. Go down the market, buy the meat, and eat it. doesn't matter. Isn't that interesting? I mean, before, you know, the previous passage, Paul had said, now, if you're in the temple and there's a ritual going on and there's a meal and this is part of their liturgical worship for that false god, don't eat it. If somehow meat shows up in the marketplace the next day, because again, these, this is not really a god. Zeus doesn't exist. He's not real. Poseidon didn't exist. Aphrodite, these gods don't exist. So it's not like you're actually doing something with those gods. Now Paul warned in the previous passage, down at the temple, what you're doing is you're worshipping demons. With this meat, there's nothing to it. And so he quotes Psalm 24. Psalm 24 verse 1 is what's quoted there in verse 26. Here's why, don't worry about it, because the, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. So, so there's no reason to, to be concerned about this issue, and in fact, what I think he's suggesting here, there's no deal to make out of it, don't make a deal out of it. 
No, there's no need to ask about it. There's no need, there's no need to give yourself a potential problem. So don't ask the vendor, uh, and that way you don't have an issue with conscience. In other words, there's no concern. So it's interesting, he kind of gives everybody a pass here. Uh, if, if you want, you can go down there, you can buy what you want, you can eat what you want, and you, that, you, that's a sufficient uh, way of going about business. All right, but then now there's a second scenario, verse 27. If any of those who do not believe, it's pretty clear what he's referencing there, right? If an unbeliever invites you to dinner, and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. So he translates then, all right, the market situation to the private home. You've been invited to a dinner party. And, and now Paul is, because it, to me, I, I take this to mean this situation has come up and that perhaps... Some of these believers have been invited to the home of unbelievers. They've gone into these homes, hosted by these unbelievers. A meal is put before them, and they're making an issue of this and saying, has this meat been offered to idols? I can't eat if it's been offered to idols. So it sounds to me as if this is the kind of thing that's being asked of Paul, and Paul is coming back and saying, don't ask about it. If they don't bring it up, nobody else brings it up. For conscience sake, no need to make a deal of something. If no one else makes a deal out of it, it is it is such a culturally entrenched thing that, again, it's not like you're really defiling yourself and, and it's, you know, it has no real bearing on anything. Nobody else is going to think anything of it. And I can give you an example of this. Let, let's take, for example, drinking a Pepsi. How many of you, that's your drink of choice? Anybody would say, OK, that's your drink. of choice. OK, how many of you are Coke people? By the way, they give just as much money to liberal causes anyway. So. All right, so is anybody going to think, if I come up, if I come up to you, if I see you down at Chelsea, all right, I think they serve exclusively Pepsi products, okay? Go down to Chelsea, see you sitting there. What you got there? What kind of drink is that right there? It's a Pepsi. You know, they gave money to Planned Parenthood. You're probably not even a Christian, all right? So, in other words, you know, there's no reason to, I mean, that's not going to happen, is it? I may have other reasons for not thinking you're one, but that's not it, okay? In other words, no one's going to think, I can't believe he's drinking a soft drink. Doesn't, doesn't he know? All right, no, no one's going to have any issue there. So there's no need in that case to make it an issue. That's what he's, that's what he's getting at. No need to ask about it. But now it gets tricky, all right? Verse 28. And again, keep in mind, he's saying, so for conscience sake, there's no need to bring a burden on your conscience. You can, and, and really what he's saying is, you can in good conscience eat the meat. You can do this. Verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience's sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. First of all, it's fascinating he quotes the same verse to make an opposite point. All right? It, it is really fascinating. And this, by the way, is a tricky set of verses, um, this and the couple of verses that follow. Now, here, here's what I think he's getting at, because you've got to try and figure out what is the setting and context here. And there's one of two options. One, either Paul is, is referring to someone, all right? uh, the, ver- the, the anyone in verse 28, but if anyone says to you, some suggest he's talking about another unbeliever there. 
And perhaps an unbeliever who is aware you're a believer and who's aware this may be an issue. All right. So, but if anyone says it's been offered to idols. Now, in the previous setup, it, don't don't ask your host. There's no need to make a big deal out of it. No need to offend the unbeliever. All right. It's a better testimony. Don't offend them. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. However, if it comes up and this is made known and the assumption in the verse, at least this is how I take it, the assumption in the verse is that everybody in that room knows who you are. They know what you are. You're a believer. They, they know your view of idolatry. They, they, in other words, they have some operating understanding of a particular ethical, cultural worldview that you operate with. So if somebody then tells you, this has been offered to idols. So it could be an unbeliever. Who's doing that? Others suggest it is a weaker brother or sister in Christ. Either way, the outcome is the same for Paul. So I don't know that you necessarily have to make a choice. Paul is saying, if, if you're told this, and the assumption being now this is a public issue, now this is a testimony issue, now this is a witness issue, it hasn't changed anything. The, the, the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness of it. All right, It's all still the Lord's. You belong to the Lord too. So for the sake of conscience now, don't eat it. Now some of that is for your conscience. Now, now you've presented yourself as a testimony. Now it's out there. So what do I do? What do I do with this? Now that I've been told this meat's been offered to idols, you take a courageous stand. You don't have to do it in a difficult and ugly kind of way. But you do take a stand to say, alright, I'm not going to eat the meat. Now, he goes on to say, and again, this is kind of an odd section, uh, verse 29, because while your conscience is a concern, Paul's now going to say, but that's not the primary concern. Verse 29, conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. So kind of like the language of edification, it's not, it's not just about yours, it's about others. He's already said this at the beginning. Don't seek your own, verse 24, but let each one seek the other's well-being. So the same kind of thing. So at this point he's saying, for conscience sake, it's not necessarily about your conscience, but the conscience of the other. Whether the unbeliever who sees you eating the meat that's been offered to an idol, and that somehow hinders your testimony of the gospel, or a weaker brother who sees you eating the meat, and somehow this uh, offends him or hurts his sense of ethic or maybe even drags a weaker brother back into a lifestyle he tried to get out of. This is the kind of thing Paul's talking about. For the sake of the other's conscience, don't eat it. And then he goes on to add this. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Sounds like an odd statement. Here's the best way I think you take it. So why am I going to defend my liberty and do something that's only going to result in someone else bringing condemnation on me? Why bring condemnation upon myself for the sake of my liberty? Then he, then he, then he follows that then with the next verse, verse uh, 30. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? In other words, now he's created a problem. He's given, there's been a thanksgiving pronounced over the food. But now it's been offered to idols, all right? This is an act of idolatry. So how can I do this? How can I give thanks and yet also do something that is offending the conscience of another, that another person is taking this as an evil act? He's concerned this, this could be a bit of hypocrisy or double, uh, double-sidedness, perhaps. So why, why would I do this? Why would I go ahead and, and take of the meat uh, when, when there is this 
taint to it. All right, so, so again, Paul, you notice again how Paul brings up again and again this issue of conscience. If I'm asking the question, then this is, this is the question. What does conscience require of me? When I'm trying to navigate these ethical issues. This is a big deal. If, when I look in my heart and mind, ideally, a heart and mind that's being formed and fashioned by the Word, by the Gospel, by obedience, by being a part of the family of God, all of these things are forming and fashioning how I'm looking at things. And I ask myself, what does my conscience say? Now, again, not how do I feel about it, all right? That's not what we're getting at. How does it make me feel? It doesn't really matter, all right? How I feel, you feel, is a meaningless question. The conscience rightly conformed to the Word. What, what is that then gospel-transformed instinct telling me? What's it telling me for me? What's it telling me for somebody else? Now, we, we could maybe translate this into another modern-day kind of setting, because, again, you know, n- no one here is worried about this. I don't guess. I don't guess anyone has stopped your plate at Morgan's and said, did you do something with this chicken back there? All right, you know, before you eat it, did you say, were you sacrificing this thing to anything else? I mean, no one's, you've never thought that. I mean, I've been to some restaurants and thought, you could put this back in the oven again, all right? But that's not like a sacrifice, right? I mean, anyway, anyway so I, no, no one's facing this as a cultural issue. But let me, here's one I thought of, and you might be able to think of better ones. Let's say you go to a party, you know, you go, go to somebody's house, they've hosted you and a bunch of other people for a party, and uh, as a good host, they make a goodie bag for you, all right? For your way out, right? The party, get, thank you for coming. Uh, and in it, maybe there are some gourmet snack items they put in there, all right? Maybe there's something they've purchased that's like a home decor kind of thing or some interesting gizmo gadget, whatever it may be, all right? So you get a bag of goodies on your way out. Uh, you had a great time, good meal, good fellowship. Uh, this is, It's an unbeliever, all right? You know this is an unbeliever, but you're friends with them, and a bunch of other people are there. They give you the bag. You don't think anything of it. Out the door. Great. Enjoy. But doesn't make a difference if before everybody leaves, then the host stands and says, before you go, I, I want everybody here to take one of these gift bags. And the individual shows the gift bag and say, and I really want you to take this. And the reason this is important is because everything that is in here, I bought at a fundraiser for the local abortion clinic. Now, all of the proceeds went to support abortion causes. Uh Uh-oh. Right? No, we've got an issue. Well, at least you should have an issue. All right? So now, now we've got an issue with this thing. It has been announced. Or if even somebody else said, by the way, don't you know everything that's in there went to support? And you can name anything else that you perceive to be immoral or unbiblical. It, it, went, to, it went to support that. This, all of this was a fundraiser for Bernie Sanders. All right, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, okay? All, everything in here went for that purpose. What do you, what do, you do? Now, now, again, I, you know, I'm not suggesting that I've got the absolute answer on that particular subject. Though my, you know, so if I'm the pastor of the church, 
Uh, they know who I am. And I've been invited to this party and this gift is being made available and it's made clear that there is now, there's now an ethical concept attached to it. I'm not taking the bag. I'm not taking the bag. Even if it offends my host, I'm not taking the bag. So, so this, this, this again, it's an interesting passage, this, especially this section. And we'll get to the, you know, the rest of the points uh, next week. But I knew this particular part would take a little bit more time because Paul works us through these scenarios. And I know you may even still struggle with this as if to say, so what's the difference? Why, why did it matter? In other words, what? The meat bought in the marketplace, the meat that no one knows, was it offered to an idol or not? In other words, it's still the same setup. The meat very well could have been offered to an idol, but if you don't know about it, then you can participate. Some people may hear that and think, well, that just sounds really odd. I mean, I granted, this is an odd text. But I think that is the instruction that it gives. In some cases, I am not obligated to unearth every bit of ethical motivation in every single thing I do. Do you know how exhausting that would be? That would be an exhausting life. I mean, just think of all the materials, say, in this new building or in our, in our renovation. Are we certain every single company that benefited from us building any of this stuff throughout the history of Tabernacle, are we confident that every single company were rock-solid, Bible-believing, Southern Baptist Christians? I can tell you right now, they are not. All right, I can tell you right now, they are not. So, in other words, these are, these are challenging situations, but it does require thought that as soon as I now have a situation, if I end up in a situation where ethical value has been placed on an action and now I'm asked whether or not I'll participate in it or not for the sake of conscience and testimony, I can't do it. Even if otherwise I might have freedom to do it. Because nothing changes about that meat, Right? There's nothing different. It's still meat offered to something that didn't exist. But Paul is now saying, now, now you've got a different issue. And for the sake of conscience, uh, this, this is, is what you need, need to do. You need to, and you need to seriously consider what is the impact of your actions on someone else. All right, so next week we'll get to the last three questions. Um, Paul's not done saying some really unusual things. For example, at the end of this chapter, Paul says, Give no offense to Greek, Jew, or anyone. And then Paul even says, For I have tried to please everyone. Really, Paul? Have you? I mean, is that the first thing you think of when you think of Paul? That Paul was a guy who was concerned about offending somebody? No, in fact, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, the gospel is offensive to the Jew and to the Greek. Now, Paul didn't mind offending. So what's he getting at? I mean, it's a really interesting little insertion here, and we'll try and unpack that next week. And actually, we get to what is, I think, the primary point he's going to make, which is verse 31. It's a verse you're familiar with. You may even have it memorized. Therefore, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is going to be his bottom line. All right, this is the fundamental principle towards which he's been driving going all the way back to chapter 8. We'll unpack that as we get to it next Wednesday night. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for gathering us. We thank you again for your word. 
Lord, we just ask for wisdom. We do want to be faithful in this world. We recognize that, that we are not called uh, to just kind of circle the wagons and huddle ourselves in our, uh, our own little safe Christian cocoons. We are to be in the world, but not of it. And Father, we confess that causes us to be confronted with challenging realities. And so ultimately, we depend upon you. God, give us wisdom. Give us insight. Give us understanding. Help us to see our actions for what they are and and how they will impact others. God, we just want to be faithful to you, obedient to you, and all that you've called us to do. And we just thank you then for the rest of the week that now lays out before us. And and, and we we enter it by faith, believing you and your God who goes with us. You you have promised to give us all the spiritual blessings and in heavenly places, we have all that's needed for life and godliness. And we thank you, God, for those promises. So may we avail ourselves of them as we seek to live in obedience to you, bringing glory to your name. Gather your people back together again. That we might come together with one voice, one heart, one mind, one life, yielded to you, in praise and worship and adoration, and, and that you as our great and mighty God would be pleased by what we offer to you. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.